0: available downstairs. I'm going to encourage the rest of you here this morning, if you have Bibles with you and at the Rock Church, you really, really should. So if you have a, a Luddite version here, the printed version, that would be awesome. If you have a phone or a, 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 an app on a tablet, please open it to Second Timothy and chapter 3. And we are going to dive into an interesting text this morning uh, that is for Mother's Day. It's, uh, I'm titling this sermon today, usually there's a couple of points and all the rest of it, there's only one point today, the gift of motherhood, okay, and, and that's what I want to look at you, with you today. As a bit of an introduction, um, I mean, what a, what a perfect day, right, to, to have a Mother's Day message and so forth, but it's actually not our tradition at the Rock Church to do that every year. I, I was looking at my notes, it's like five years since I've done a Mother's Day specific sermon. And I don't want to get into what happened the last time I did that, but the truth of the matter is, is that if you ask any preacher, any pastor out there, there's a couple times a year that, you know, um, preaching a, a, a one-off topical sermon uh, from Scripture, of course, uh, it, can be, it can be challenging, to say the least. Our pattern is we go through books of the Bible. We've been in the Gospel of Luke primarily for about a year and a half now, and that's what we do. And so for a lot of pastors, it's like, especially Mother's Day, it's, you know, you, you're gonna, you feel like you have to hit all the bases, right? Because the, no matter what you do, no matter what you do, there are going to be some women who are going to feel uh, this is a tough day for them, and others are going to feel left out for a number of reasons. And, it, and for a lot of pastors, it's like it's, it's, a, it's a lose-lose situation, right? No matter how much you really want to bless moms. And so generally what you do is you wish everybody happy Mother's Day, hand out some flowers, and you go back into the text you were. It's just the safe thing to do, Right? But th- that's not what we're going to do today. And, and the reason for that was with, well, when Shauna emailed me a few weeks ago about the, the dedicating the boys, I was like, yeah, that's awesome. And uh, what a great day to do that. And then secondly, I looked at the passage in Luke that we will be back in next week, and I'm like, that is not encouraging for a Mother's Day message, right? It's like the woes. Jesus is going out. So you need to be here next week. It's going to be awesome. It's just not a Mother's Day subject. But secondly, the Holy Spirit uh, spoke to me, and... and uh, brought a text to my mind that I want to share with you today as a primary text, and and I I, I want to caution you at first because I know when you hear the text you're going to go, Mother's Day? Really? Yes. Yes, Mother's Day. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, I'm going to read the text and then I'm going to pray one more time and we're going to dive in. The Apostle Paul is speaking to Timothy who he's writing to and he says these words. is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, once again, thank you. Thank you for this great day. Father, we thank you that uh, the reality is you birthed every one of us. From Adam and Eve on, you've birthed us. You've given us life. You've given us life in the womb of our mothers. And so, Father, we thank you also today, though, that we get to celebrate the reality that all of us in this room today have had a mom. We've had a mother. Some of us are fortunate enough to still have her with us and with them. So, Father, we thank you for that miracle. That miracle that women, many, many women get to share. And they get to share that gift of motherhood with the rest of us. So, thank you for that. Thank you for this word. I pray that you would just bless our time here this morning and that we would all be encouraged what it means to be given the gift of motherhood. I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So... For us to appreciate this amazing text, we're going to have to do a little bit of background. Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting, this text, uh, it came to my mind I think partly because, and just very briefly, uh, it's going back about 25, 28 years ago, uh, when the Lord first put it on my heart when I was in my business life to, you know, maybe become a preacher. I, at, that, at that time I was a public speaker, sure, but preach the Bible, uh, I don't know. And I heard about this, this man from England, this theologian, was coming over and he was doing a one-week intensive for, for young men who th- their elders thought might have the gift of preaching or wanted to, and, and so I signed up to go to hear Dr. David Gooding, uh, this British theologian and commentary writer and uh, it was out in the Fraser Valley somewhere, I can't remember exactly where now, and it would talk about a one-week intensive, like 8 o'clock in the morning to 9 o'clock at night, and it British accent. It was pretty, it was amazing. But in order to get into that study, you had to memorize these seven verses, eight verses, and you had to, in the King James, no doubt, right? And you had to go to your elders, and you had to be able to show them that you'd memorized it, and you need to get a letter from them. And so th- this passage is always always stuck with me he, he never taught this passage to us in the weeks that we were together i ended up going to two others all the way to cincinnati one time just to hear this man he's just a godly wonderful man and so this passage always comes back to me it's very instructive and so clearly some of you must be going glenn come on this is about two guys right it's about paul talking to timothy what's this got to do with mom and mother's day that's a good question It's a good question. Let me ask you a question to begin then. Besides Jesus, who would you say is the person in Scripture who was the absolute number one disciple maker? The guy who made more disciples, who go on making disciples of all of the New Testament guys. Who would you say that might be? Paul. Right, like It's unbelievable, actually, if you begin to study it, if you begin to look at the the different men that this man discipled, and women, who he discipled, but mostly men, obviously men should be discipling men and women women, but he had some interesting relationships. But it's not only Timothy that we see here that Paul is discipling, he also of course discipled and led Titus who was a leader and pastor in a local church, Silvanus who went by the name of Silas. Also, there was Prisca, Priscilla, and her husband Aquila, right? They they were tanners, as he was also, and and he discipled them as a couple, and they had an amazing relationship. Uh, There was Sopater the Berean from the Thessalonian church. There was uh, people by the names of Aristarchus and Secundus, not Firstcundus, but secundus, right? Okay, <laughs> so it's a terrible joke, but anyway. Gaius of Derbe was another one of his disciples, and, and the Asians, these were Asian men, Ticetus, and that's actually how you pronounce his name, Ticetus, who was actually a scribe, and as Paul got older in life and could barely read and, and write, Ticetus would write most of his epistles for him while he dictated them to him, and, and there was also Trof, Trometheus. And this text in the second letter of Paul writes to Timothy has, listen, it has the marks of discipleship, doesn't it? It's about discipleship. He he's reminding Timothy about the years that they spent together and all the things they've gone through together, the persecutions, the afflictions that happened in all these different places, and how God rescued them out of everything. And and he's and, and, and we did this together. It's about discipleship. But this thing is, is that this letter that we're reading here, Second Timothy, this is written well over ten years after they've met. In fact, Paul is near the end of his life. He will not see Timothy again. It's his last recorded writing that we know of sent to Timothy. We read in Acts 16 when they first met, and I'll put these verses on screen for you from Acts 16 where it says this, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple, so Timothy's already a disciple, was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. When Paul wanted a young man to follow him, they did. And so from this day forward, Paul did with Timothy exactly what we've been seeing in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus doing with Peter and James and Andrew and all of the disciples when he said, follow me. He's doing the same thing with Timothy that Jesus did with all of his disciples, right? He's, he's, come with me while I'm doing ministry, okay? I'm going to be going and planting churches and preaching the gospel, and you're going to come with me, and this is going to be your seminary. This is how we disciple people, and that's exactly what he did, calling men and women to follow him as he makes disciples who make disciples. He takes them straight into ministry for a total of a little over 10 years, but look at this. We already see a bit of a hint here about something important. First of all, we see... Uh, Luke, who records the the book of Acts, that he was the son, look at this, of a Jewish woman. But it tells us that his father was a Greek, which intimates and suggests that his father was probably not a believer, otherwise, Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father's a Greek. So he's being discipled by his mother, we would understand. So we also read that Timothy, who was approximately at this time, best guess is low 20s, mid-20s at the most. At this time, Paul's a good 15 to 20 years older than Timothy. Good discipleship relationship. We also see, though, that in his mid-20s, he's well-spoken of already by the elders and by the local church. Already at that age, he's being well-spoken of. And so Paul's like, okay, you, young man, follow me. It's, just, it's great. It's discipleship, but it's also training for ministry. It's a wonderful picture. That we see here and so he takes timothy with him and for the next seven to ten years they travel all over that area planting churches preaching the gospel right appointing elders and for a time and a season paul at times would leave timothy in that place to raise up the elders to do the preaching and teaching and then come and join him later in various other places and eventually end up when he's writing this epistle this letter to him in second timothy in the church in ephesus as its pastor so finally, we arrive at the time when Timothy is now the lead pastor of this church in Ephesus. And Paul, again, very late in his life, writes this second letter to Timothy to encourage him. And I want to show you the opening of the second letter. It's a typical Pauline opening to the letter, but it's important. It, it'll guide us a little bit this morning. He says this, Paul, he gives his, his title, his, his who he is, and everything that he is, of course, is related to Jesus. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. And then look at this. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. So so Timothy had quite literally become a son to him, right? This discipleship relationship had had morphed from being, you know, you're just following me as as another Christian brother or a young man. You're a son to me. Many of you will know uh, in our church that I'm, I'm, I've had some relationships like that with young men in our church, and I really, I really treasure that. There's one in particular. He phoned me yesterday, actually. Uh, his name is Matt Picard. I, we call him Matty P. And uh, for many years, like, you know, like I told him many, many years ago, he had some difficulties with his dad and father, a relationship and all the rest of it. And I told him I wanted to disciple him and, and that, that I would be a dad to him. I would treat him just like any one of my sons, and I meant it. And I told him that. And uh, it was interesting uh, yesterday as I prepared this message, I'm saying goodbye to him and it's always, it's always like, it's almost like with any of my blood sons. You know, it was like we, one of us was waiting at the end to say, love you. <laughs> and, and you know, like, and, and so he usually is the first to do it. But yesterday I said, hey, love you, son. And he went, love you too, dad. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? I have three sons and I love them. And they rarely say that to me, just kidding. But that's awesome, and that's the relationship that Paul has here with Timothy. It's taken 10 years to get to that relationship. That's investment. Then in verse 5, gets really interesting. And Paul says this, and I love this, that like, he doesn't have to do this. He doesn't have to mention this, but it's important that he does. He says this in verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in you, look at this, in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure it dwells in you as well. Yeah, it's a little hard for me to say that. My, my mom, her name is Eunice. She passed away two years ago. She's an awesome lady. And I remember one time I was raised Catholic and I said to her, I said, Mom, uh, you're, you're, you're in the Bible. Well, your name is anyway. And she went, I know. She's an interesting lady. Um, She got to about 55, 60 years of age. She lived until she was 85, I believe. And she was Eunice, right? That was her name. And then all of a sudden she decided at 55, 60, no, no, that is just not regal enough. I am now Eunice. Everyone on Salt Spring where she lived for the last, she was like, they were like, oh, we've got to get it right. And I called her Eunice, and then finally I switched to. Do you see this? This is beautiful. Paul doesn't have to do this, but it's important because it's, it's who Timothy is. This young man is who he is because, yes, of the Lord Jesus Christ, saving faith in him and the Holy Spirit. But his grandmother, Lois, and his mother Eunice were part of his life. And so that's why I look at this. I want to come back to our text that I read you earlier today. That's why Paul says this in the main text we looked at today. In verses 14 and 15, after all that discipleship stuff up front about what we did, and the persecutions and afflictions, right, he then says, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so as I've said, when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, this is possibly his last letter. In fact, when you get near the end of the letter, he's asking for some help to be sent to him because he's struggling. He's not well. And, and, And he feels like he's about to breathe his last breath. And so he's writing this, and if you're looking at the text, you'll see that Paul starts, as I said, with all these persecutions he has endured. And why? Why is he doing that? Because, listen, he knows that Timothy, if he isn't already, but he does know because he's heard word about how people are attacking him and getting divisive within that church in Ephesus, and they're attacking him because he's a young pastor of just 35 and he tells them in verses 12 and 13, he says, look, it's going to happen if it isn't happening already, right? Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Buck up, get ready, it's coming if it's not already happening to you. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, devi- deceiving and being deceived. Where? In the church, buddy. It's a solemn warning. It's, it's, it's a good lesson, but, but what's remarkable to me about what Paul does is this. It's not, it's not like he goes all Ephesians 6 on him, right? He doesn't go like, yeah, get the full armor of God on and like man up here, right? Like, come on, dude. Okay, that was my best attempt. But. He doesn't do that, does he? No, he says, remember your mom. Remember your grandmother." Remember them. You're going to need to remember what they taught you, how they loved you, how they comforted you, how they provided you, how they helped make you strong. Any guys got a mom a grandmom like that? It's a blessing, is it not? Yeah, you needed to raise your hand. (laughs) I understand. It's so awesome. It really is what we see here. No, he reminds Timothy about the firm foundation that he received, the gift he received of a godly mother and a godly grandmother. Paul has taught this young man much, no question. He's modeled ministry for him. He's modeled the hard work of preaching and being rejected for him. He's done all that, and he's endured it. But Paul highlights what this young man already had and he needed most why he was so highly spoken of when they first met him. And Paul wanted him to remember that what he needed for his ministry most was to remember the strength, the character, and the teachings of his mother and his grandmother. So how did they do that? How did they do that? How did they give this gift of motherhood not only to Timothy but to Paul and to the church, right? That's how it got worked out, that gift. How did they do that? Lois and Eunice, Scripture teaches us, taught him the sacred Scripture. And you're not auto mechanics or… All, no, they taught him the, the Scripture. And in, in, in that day, that would have meant the Old Testament. And they taught it to him so well, they themselves knew it so well, that when Paul and his 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 group came by, his posse came through. The first time through Lystra and Derbe and preached the gospel to them, they received it. And they trusted Jesus, their whole house. Maybe not dad, but Lois and Eunice and Timothy did. They taught him the scripture and they all responded. They all responded. It's a heartwarming story, isn't it? I hope, right? It is. Timothy and Paul, th- these, were, these were pillars of the church, early church. These were godly, godly men who did great things, but what was behind them, and this is not a, a, just a, a, a light little aside, a godly mother and grandmother of strong character who knew the word of God. So that's lovely, right? I think it is. I hope you do too. What does that look like today? What do you think, right? Like, oh my goodness, like, yeah, in in those days, you know, there was probably time for that. What does that look like today for us in this world today? How can that look today for that matter? I think it's fair to say, honestly, as we look at a couple things here this morning, I want you to think about, we need to think about, I think it's fair to say that mothering and motherhood as a career choice has fallen on pretty hard times in our world and culture today, don't you think? In the church, too? I'm not thinking maybe our church, but maybe a little bit. So, uh, what happened? Well, I think in order for us to figure that out, we're going to have to go back in time, okay? This is like back to the future. We need to go back to the 1950s. You guys ready for this? Because we have to go back in order for us to see and understand where it's at today. So I got a picture for you from the 1950s and I, I want you to just look at it on the screen. Don't anybody freak out and just... Okay, here you are. <laughs> there you go, eh? Now that's not Eunice, okay? But it could have been. Now does anybody know by any chance what this woman or the caricature of this woman might have been called in that day? Anybody? Sorry? Housewife, sure, but th- there's more. Yeah, actually, let's first, let me just put it this way. That's an ad, right? That, a marketing people, those evil people of which I used to be part of that world, uh, they came up with this, right? But they came up with it for a reason. This is where the culture was at and people were believing and buying this stuff and we'll look at that a little bit. But, but her name was, not only in the ads, but every woman desired in those days to be this woman. Her name was... Susie Homemaker. <laughs> really? Yeah, let's bring her back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but listen, before we get a little judgmental and look at this and go, come on, are you serious? This was the ads, right? No, okay, no. Fathers knows best. Anyone ever watched that old TV show in black and white? You know, like, what was her name? Harriet, the wife, I don't know. But dad would come home in a suit and tie and Mum would be serving dinner to the table in a dress with her little thing on, right, whatever, and, and high heels lipstick on hair done up you know like <laughs> uh, I have never seen that in my life well that's not true Eunice right now if we look back on that we go come on that's sad well no it, it isn't actually see in those days in the 1950s what was happening was the Industrial Revolution had gone so crazy it was amazing most of the men were in the workforce they were working in factories and they were producing those stoves right they were producing all these appliances because why well because families were exploding and suburbia was being built and what well, well we needed people needed to fill their homes with this stuff right and most women thought this was awesome my mother did I remember we had in the basement of our house, it was kind of like, it was a really dark, the furnace was down there, make noise, it was a scary place, right? And, uh, but my mom had a washing machine down there, the, and uh, some of you ladies are going, like, this is how old I am, right? And, and my mom would go down there, and, and I think, pr- I'm pretty sure that my sister and I heard her with the door closed down the basement cussing once in a while. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I don't know. Eunice was a, was a Catholic, she was a lovely girl, um, woman. But anyway, she had a washing machine Was with this tub thing, right? And it did do a, and it washed the clothes, but it, it didn't do a spin-dry cycle. And what you had to do is drain the water out of it. Some of you are nodding your heads, right? You know what's coming, right? And on the back of this machine were these two rollers and a crank. Ringers. Ringers. <laughs> and you had to put the clothes through that. <clears throat> now, listen, when Dad came home with a brand-new GE washer and dryer, this man was a hero. It changed life, it it was actually pretty remarkable. I mean, go back 200 years, guys. Washing clothes in a tub. It was a major advancement. It was good. Most people were very happy with this lifestyle. Motherhood was, was considered like you, to be a homemaker and look after your home and listen, hubby, go make the money so I can at least have the stuff that, you know, air conditioning would be helpful. You know, whatever it is, right? Get me the things that I need to do my job in the home well. And, and people were happy with that, but some things changed. Two things happened. Two things happened that changed motherhood and the perception in our world of women as mothers, dramatically. Two things. One was called the pill. And if that didn't work, abortion. Those two things happened in my lifetime growing up. And it was shocking, to be honest with you, when it first happened. But again, the marketers got involved, right? And we like to think, we like to think in our culture today, no, 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 you know, like feminists, and like it's good for women, you know, got to get out from this drudgery and out in, into the workforce. Hey, I'm, my wife is a cardiac care specialty nurse. Some of you are professionals in this, this place as women. Awesome. not saying anything about that. But th- the push was, the reality of the push was, oh, yeah, women need to be liberated from this drudgery. Like all those appliances, like <laughs> I really... And, but marketers saw this as a wonderful opportunity. What was the wonderful opportunity? Two people who need clothing to go to work. Two cars, bigger houses, more stuff. Oh, by the way, ladies, you need to look like a man in the workforce, so the pantsuit was developed, right? Like, women didn't invent that. Most women today, when they see Hillary Clinton wearing that, they go, take it off, get it. Okay, that was, that's funny in my day, but anyway. Uh, This changed everything, guys. It changed everything. Changed our perception of motherhood. Half a century later I have to ask this question. We need to ask this question. Are we better off? Are women better off? Are marriages better off? Are children better off? That's between you and the Lord. And if you're married, that's between you and your husband and how you respond to that. As I was researching this, I read an article, actually, this woman's name is Rachel Jankovic. She's the mother of seven. Hmm? Okay, she wrote a book called You Who, Why You Matter and How to Deal With It. Why you matter, mom, in the home and how to deal with it. And she said this, these are her words. She wrote this just two years ago. The truth is that years ago, before this generation of mothers was even born, so back to the 50's, our society decided where children rank in the list of important things. She then said this, when abortion was legalized, we wrote it into law, children then ranked way below a college degree, below world travel for sure, below the ability to go out at night at your leisure, below a lot of things. She goes on and says, if you grew up in this culture, it's very hard to get a biblical perspective. It's very hard as a Christian woman to have seven kids and not have people in the world think, you're nuts. <laughs> and stay at home and raise your children? Is that looked up upon today? I don't think so. Is it, are we capable of it today? In many cases, no. It's understood. She says, Do do we believe that we want children because there's some biological urge or the phantom baby itch? Is motherhood a rock-bottom job for those who can't do more or those who are satisfied with drudgery? If so, what were we thinking? She concludes with, sisters, motherhood is not a hobby. It's a calling. It's not something you do if you can squeeze the time in. It's what God gave you time to do for a season, for a season. So let me speak. uh, That's that's the the problem I would suggest to you of of motherhood in our culture today. And and it's Christian and non. You're you're dealing with this. We're dealing with this. Men and women, we're dealing with this as couples and marriage. Let me speak specifically to the Christian. The Christian mom, the Christian grandmother or mom hopefully be someday. What does it really look like for you today? Now I, I have a daughter-in-law, they're sick unfortunately today, can't be here. The kids are sick, so they're sick, right? And, uh, and, and I know many of you ladies in the church, we've, we're, we, we, we take the Bible literally when it says go forth and multiply, we're doing it, right? And, and there's babies, all, and I, I, I see your posts on Instagram and Facebook, and, and I, I see the challenges, and I, I, I know that you're reading books to figure out how to handle this, and, and, and it's real. Let's just call it what it is, right? It's real. Being a mom today... Well, any time for that matter, but today is, it's hard. It really is hard. And the reality is in a lot of marriages, dad's not helping. That was for you guys. That's uh, just an off just for you in the room today. We're not helping in the way that we should. Another woman, uh, Courtney Rezig. she's the mother of four sons, a little bit more reasonable, and the author of a book called, Glory in the Ordinary, Why Your Work in the Home Matters to God, she has what I, what I believe is a hopeful and helpful perspective in an article that she actually wrote last year, uh, just after um, Mother's Day. From her book, she was prompted to write it because of something someone said to her. Um, and she said this, from her book, but also in the article, she said, Let's just call it what it is, girls. Death. Instead of hyping motherhood to the point of perfection, we should be willing to call it what it is. It's a form of death. Jesus says to all of us, men and women, we will have to give up something to gain something better. This is the gospel. And she, she quotes a number of verses uh, that Jesus spoke, right, about this very subject. I chose just one, Mark 8.35, where it says this, for whoever would save his or her, her, her life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. She also said, and the work of parenting requires us to do just that. It's dying so another can live. I mean, it, it happens from the, the moment you conceive, right? In the womb, right? I mean, there are certain things immediately that once you've conceived, ladies, y- you have to die to. I mean, I, I mean we, we had Matt and Ann over just a few weeks ago and I wanted to order some takeout sushi and she was like, yeah, I can't eat that. <laughs> like, what? Well, you know, like raw fish could, you know, mm-hmm. And and I I wasn't aware of that, that's pretty interesting. And of course, there's alcohol and various other things that women today, they know that, you know, there's some things I'm gonna have to die to in in order to protect what's in my womb, um, including certain other activities in in life. And and there's gonna come a time when, you know, the work that I have, I'm gonna have to walk away from, because I'm going to be giving birth. And so there's a number of things that have to die and you have to die too and I think again guys, I'll have to throw this out there to you, to some of you, it's going to be a little hard, you know, if, if the wife says, yeah I'm not having wine or beer, um, you know, it's just, I don't know, are, are you going to be comfortable to sit in there in front of her and go, cheers, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Motherhood is a call to a form of death, just call it what it is. And in that call, it is a beautiful, beautiful picture of the gospel. It is. You, you, you may actually find yourself being fulfilled in motherhood. I think that would be the hope of everyone in this room and in, in the church at large. Wouldn't that be that you would be fulfilled in motherhood? But it won't come in the ways, it won't come in the ways that the world considers women being fulfilled, will it? Or men. Finally, it's laying down your life. Listen, it's laying down your life so God is glorified and that, dear ladies, is how the gift of motherhood is passed on to not only your children, but to their children and to the church and to the ministry that God has called us all to. And so we have in Scripture this wonderful example of Lois and Eunice, right? We've just seen this in the lives of these two women who... Literally sacrificed everything they must have to raise this boy. We don't know how many other children they had, but this, this boy, Timothy, and then just give him over? I have a real life, Lois and Eunice, in my life. Janice and her mother, Carol. Her mother, Carol, and her father, Warren, are my spiritual parents. They prayed for this unbelieving, heathen soul uh, while their daughter was dating this fella, they're amazing. Amazing. They have 27 grandchildren. Janice has uh, a brother and two sisters, and they've been in a, in a having babies competition most of their lives. Okay? <laughs> they're nuts. We're the reasonable. We have three boys. Okay? We're just reasonable. Okay? Uh, honestly, Greg, I think, and, and Elizabeth, they've had eight or nine. Uh, Trisha has had 10, lost their first child to a crib death, to SIDS, was very sad, and then they went on to have nine more. woo right? And uh, Barbara and John in Montreal, they have eight or nine. I can't remember the numbers. It's, you lose track, you know what I'm saying? Uh, they, they come to the house to visit me. Go, you're, you're my niece, nephew. I don't know your name. Like, there's so many of them. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I've seen it modeled in our home. To this day, our three sons know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and to the best of their ability, I believe, are following Him. Janice needs to get the bulk of the credit for that. Holy Spirit gets it all, but I mean, really? And then behind that is her mom. And as far as I know, as far as I know, every one of those children, those grandchildren, are believing and following Jesus. How crazy remarkable is that? What a family. You're going to meet some of them. The nieces and nephews are coming to visit in the next few months uh, aunt and uncle Janice and Glenn. There's one other mother we mustn't forget to mention in the scripture though, right? She actually lost her son three times. And here's the thing, moms, this is hard. Some of you may have experienced this, but some of you are going to raise these little angels and one day they're going to start making some bad decisions. And you think the paper cuts today... Uh, of death as you're raising these infants is the emotional paper cut, deep cut of children that go astray or get lost. That's hard. You're going to need Jesus. You're going to need the Holy Spirit at that time. You're going to need your church. Mary lost her son three times, didn't he? Remember they went to the mall in, uh, when he was 12 years old and then he got lost? In, uh, he got lost in the synagogue, right? <clears throat> Where were you? We were worried, right? They lost him. And then they lose him for three years to this ministry, to the point where Mary has to come and and outside of this house where he's preaching and and has to send in his brothers and and maybe a few sisters to go, Come, we're worried about you. We think you're losing your mind. People want to kill you. You need to come home. He's like, who are my mother and my brother and my sisters? But these people. And then ultimately she loses him, doesn't she? On the cross. But she got him back, didn't she? Oh, she got him back. It's a wonderful, wonderful example of getting back. So as we conclude, I want us to return one more time to our key passage for today and two verses in conclusion. Paul, look, he's he's been trying to comfort Timothy. This is tough being in ministry, Timothy. It's tough being a Christian, period, in this world today. And he's trying to encourage this young man. He's reminding him, listen, when times get tough, remember mom, remember grandmother. Maybe they're still alive, I don't know. Go home and talk to them if you need to. But remember what they taught you. That gave you that firm foundation. And maybe, maybe then as we see that story, we see these last two verses in a different context than normally they're pulled out of. And, and they're good when they're pulled out for the purpose that they're sometimes used about all Scripture, right? But maybe now in this context, we see them in the light of how we disciple someone where it says all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work." Every good work. Well, we limit the Word of God to just certain areas, don't we? So moms, grandmoms, mothers of all ages and fathers and all men as well, this is what our children need most. This is what our children need most, Christian. They need the Word of God. Baseball, soccer, mountain biking, music, art, all those things. Awesome. Oh, if my child doesn't get in that or do this or do that, they won't be, you know, a formed human being. Careful. Careful. This is what they need. And mom, I'll tell you what, you know what they need? As hard as it is, they need you even at one, two years of age, to sit there with them, and yes, read them coloring books, and, uh, but just open Psalms, open Genesis, even though they can't comprehend it, and read it to them. Because you know what will also be happening? You will be clothed in righteousness as you're doing that, and they will hear the sacred writings, and they will see mom open her Bible, dad too, dad too. So church, I leave this with you this morning. How perfect is it today as we celebrate Mother's Day that we just dedicated to children? Church, we just covenanted with this family that we would help them raise their children. It's going on right now upstairs. And you know, church, as we're growing and we need to go to two services and we're hoping the Lord will just baptize more people and bless us with more trusted people in Jesus Christ that our Sunday school will grow even more. Ladies, men, we need to teach the kids. We need you. The, the, the Shauna and the Tylers right now, at the stage they're at, they need you. <laughs> they, they need you. Babysit. Teach their kids. They, they, they would love to. I know Tyler's just can't wait to the point when he gets to teach Sunday school, but no, really, a, a lot of children with babies, they, would, they want to be teaching Sunday school, but they can't. And so the rest of us need to step up, younger, older. This is the gift of motherhood. This is the gift of motherhood. Happy Mother's Day. Pray with me, would you?